Okay, so I'm going to begin with some good news as we get started this morning. Last week I mentioned to you um, the uh, James Madison University and uh, their, their training with, uh, with those who are going to be taking in the incoming freshmen. And remember, critical race was a big part of that. Um, the, uh, the ones who are being trained pushed back this week. They pushed back hard. And when they pushed back hard, they eliminated it from their training this week. So I think that's a good place to begin. Um, several of you addressed me after last week knowing that I was attempting to wrap up this week. And uh, there, were, there were three things that, that, that you asked me about, and I'm going to try and deal with them this morning, and, and then hopefully take your questions. So if you have questions, make sure you write them down or whatever so that you don't forget them if you're like me. Uh, I want to I get to your questions, if, if at all possible. If it's something that's dealing right with what I'm talking about, please interrupt me and we'll deal with it right then. But the three things that I heard from several of you on were this. One, one give us some hope, okay? I'm going to work hard to give you some hope. Um, two, how do we respond to it? What do we do with it? And then thirdly, a little bit more on biblical teaching on race. So I'm going to try and organize my thoughts this morning around those, those three ideas. Um, give you some hope. Someone said, give us some hope. All this seems to be really bleak and dark, and, and it, it just seems to be really tough, and it feels like we're not going to be able to prevail against that. And I don't mean to give that impression at all. If you want hope, if we want hope, we have to, we have to ultimately rest in, in this one truth. And, and it's not a cop-out to say this, but if you want hope when it comes to dealing with critical race and, and how it's affecting our country and the world around us, you ultimately have to rest in God's sovereignty. You ultimately have to plant yourself firmly right there. That's where we have to begin. And so we have to, and when I say that, there, there's three things that I want you to, to just remember when it comes to God's sovereignty in relationship to to this. And by, by saying that God's sovereign, you understand what I'm saying, right? That he rules over all, that, 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 that he, he is always in charge, that nothing is surprising him. You can put it that way. And there's three things I want you to understand. Number one, he's going to accomplish his purpose. The world is seeking to divide. The enemy is seeking to divide and devour and, and to, to cause fractionalization, if you will. Okay? That's, that's what he does well. Literally, when you think about the Garden of Eden, did he not just kind of take Eve away from Adam and just kind of work on her? And it created, it created this already this sense in the Garden of, okay, we've got this division here. So let's understand that God's going to accomplish his purpose. He will accomplish what he is set out to do. Number two, God in doing that will establish truth. He will establish truth. And here's the thing that you and I have to just come to grips with. Truth is truth. It's found in God's word. We're called to believe it. We're called to stand on it. We're called to proclaim it. We cannot change minds of people who will not receive truth. No matter how hard you argue, no matter how loud you get your voice to be, will you be able to proclaim truth to people who don't want to receive truth? No. Does that mean we stop proclaiming it? No, that's, that's, that's not a cop-out for us to stop, to stop proclaiming it. But, but, but God will establish his truth, and, and while he has left his church here on the earth, we're called to proclaim truth. 
Okay, we're called to defend truth. We're called to stand up to lies. Okay, and then thirdly, ultimately it's God who's going to stop and punish evil. And, and it's not the job of a believer to punish evil. And I think at times when it comes to these, these really insidious, dangerous doctrines that come into the church, one of the things that we feel like we have to do is not only call out the air, but make them feel really bad for being in the air. If we aren't calling, if we aren't calling out the air and talking to them about the air with the hope that, that they will get right in their thinking, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. If we're not doing it for redemptive purposes, we have no voice and we have no purpose in speaking out loud in public. Does that make sense? If we can't do it in love, if we can't do it for the right motive, if we're just going to be the angry fundamentalist in the room who's always got something to be upset about, then just stay in the corner. Because the world has enough angry, fundamental people. Okay? So, our ultimate hope is found in God's sovereignty. But we do have to respond with truth. Last week we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and, and we, we saw that, the, that this is a spiritual warfare, that, that the weapons of our warfare have to be spiritual. Well, the ultimate weapon that we have that's a spiritual weapon, apart from God himself, the Holy Spirit, is truth. Okay, truth. And, and I think we have to begin with some, with some just realities about this. I'm going to say something and some of you are going to be like, oh, wait a minute here. But think with me. People who are proponents of critical race and Bible-believing Christians, there are some points of commonality. There are some points of commonality. Can you name any? Caring for the oppressed, okay, yeah, what else? Hmm? Yeah, I mean, there's a sense where we have to have open dialogue, yeah. Reconciliation, let me, let me give you one. Let me, give you, let me give you this. When you think about it, and I don't want to get too technical with this, but there's, there's several areas of commonality. The first one that I see is, in the course of just our own history, I can only speak to U.S. history, and we can only, should only speak to U.S. history because that's what we know. Okay, how many of you were, were a functioning, functioning, rational, even a young adult um, in the 70s in this room? How many of you were an adult in the 70s? Some of you, I don't want to raise my hand. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't become an adult till the 80s, okay? But, but not that long ago in our history, in our country, was there systemic injustice happening? Was there? We all agree on that? Proponents of CRT say the same thing. Okay? So, so whenever they say that, now, don't get me wrong, I believe it's a, it's a dangerous, deadly, wrong theory, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to stick up for their theory, okay? Don't misinterpret me. But when they say they're systemic injustice, are they wrong in saying that? No, okay? When CRT says that Jesus came to identify with the poor and the oppressed, is that true? 
It's true. Okay? They just identify the poor and the oppressed differently than what the scriptures would identify them as. Okay? But when they say that, we can't say, well, that's not true, because it is true. Thirdly, <laughs> CRT says that, 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 that there are sinful attitudes and prejudices that are always out there, right? That, that, and because of, your, because of your skin color, you automatically have a sinful prejudice and a tendency, okay? That's not true. But are there still prejudiced, sinful people in churches today? There certainly are. There certainly are. Okay? We, I remind you, we have to be careful about defining terms. Here's a term that, that you need to make sure when you, when you engage in this conversation with somebody, what they mean and what you mean. When I say the term equality, what do you mean? What do you think I mean? All men are created equal. You're going to take the definition out of the, out of the Constitution, okay? How many of you agree? When I, when I say something like equality, all men are created equal. How does, how does a proponent of CRT view the word equality? Right. Equity and outcome, that's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it, okay? So, so we have to make sure that we get our terms right, but let's understand there are certain things that, that, that we can agree with with them. We don't agree with the logical outcomes that they come to because there's, there's our illogical outcomes because there are several main differences, and I want to point out, I want to point out a couple of these. We've talked about these. I just want to kind of kind of give you just this in a nutshell. Number one, they start with the wrong epistemology. Epistemology means system of truth, okay? They start with the wrong one. They, they reject objective truth, okay? Anytime you start getting into an argument with someone who rejects objective truth, can you win that argument? No. And this is why I say God has to be the one who reveals truth. You can't be loud enough. You can't, you can't be repetitive enough. You're not going to force somebody who doesn't want to obey objective truth to obey and see objective truth. They're, just, they're, they're choosing not to. Part of their system says there is no objective truth. Our, we get to define our truth, okay? So can you understand how, how we got to this point in our country? Because we stopped, we stopped talking about objective truth about, about two, two decades ago. We allowed kids in school to define their own truth. This is why we are where we are with, with gender in our country. You get to choose what you want. It doesn't, biology means nothing here. You are who you identify, you say you are. Okay? And so, and so because, because we didn't fight hard, and I'm not blaming us in the room, but I'm just talking about the church in general, didn't fight hard about two decades ago in the truth war, we are here dealing with this situation now. Secondly, the Bible, 
doesn't limit the sins of partiality, hatred, injustice, or bearing false witness to those in power. And that's what the proponents of CRT would say. That the Bible, when it talks about partiality, hatred, and injustice, is only talking about those who have the power. Now, think about the scriptures. Does the scripture limit those sins to, to, to just the oppressors? Or if you're guilty of partiality, it doesn't matter if you are the oppressor or the oppressed. If you're guilty of hatred, okay, think about it this way. During a really ugly time in our history, whenever, whenever we were dealing with the Civil War, if you held slaves and your slaves hated you and you hated them, are you both guilty of hatred? The Bible doesn't limit it and says, because you're a slave, you're allowed to hate? But proponents of CRT basically say this, we, we are exempt from these commands because we are the oppressed. This, I came across this verse, Exodus 23, 2. And this is, this is, this is an interesting little thing that, that I saw this and read about this, and it kind of opened my eyes to something. In Exodus 23, God here is, is sharing the law with his people. And, and, and in Exodus 23, he's talking about... Um, the way that we lie and we believe lies in some ways. And in verse 2 of Exodus 23, he says, You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. That makes sense, right? You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Does that apply to, to mob rule and to the things that go on with that? Okay. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear false witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. What is God saying there? What is he warning his people about? Were you raising your hand? Oh, you were taking your glasses off, Dave. Mob mentality. You study critical race theory. You study critical theory, which led to critical race theory. You study Karl Marx. What was Karl Marx's whole point of his objective in the Russian Revolution? What was he starting? What was he looking to start? He was starting mob rule, wasn't he? And here God, God with his own people is saying, hey, watch out for this. This is a problem. This is what happens in the world. Okay. And so we need to, we need to talk a little bit about race. You're in Exodus. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Yeah. Yeah. To the poor man. Yeah, do you see that there? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Just because he's poor doesn't mean he's necessarily right, is what God's saying here. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24, okay? So this is, this is early on in Israel's history. And, and, and this, is, this is a point that I, that I want to begin with and I want to start here. 24, verse 16. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. What's God saying there? 
you're only accountable for whose sin? Your own. Are you accountable for your race's sin? No. You're only accountable for your sin. So let's talk, and I want to give you some ammunition to use, if, if you, and some truth to use as you, if, you, if you're engaging people in this. Understanding this, the truth I'm going to give you is out of God's word. People are going to probably be like, well, that's just in the Bible, and the Bible is old and dated. Well, the Bible is truth. So, so let's just begin with a basic understanding and work our way forward. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, what is the... What is the the big principle when it comes to God and creating, what's the big principle we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 26? This is the first point I want to give you. What's it say there? We're made in his image. Go ahead and read the verse, please. Okay. At that point, who has he made? That's not, it's Adam. Okay, Adam is the father of all living human beings, correct? Right? He's made in God's image. What's one thing that gets transferred to every human being then? We, we carry the image of God, do we not? We tr it's transferred to all of us. We're made in God's image. Okay? So, so this idea then that some races are better than others that's, that's for one thing, that's a misnomer because there's one race. There's one race of image bearers. There's one race of image bearers here. Okay? I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 10. Some of you are like, you're too many passages of Scripture. I want you to turn here. I want you to see this. I want you to see it with your own eyes in Genesis chapter 10. Okay? Genesis chapter 10, this is, this is post-flood. Okay? How many people were on the boat? How many people got off the boat? Noah and Mrs. Noah. And, and how many sons? Three sons, okay? So, so after the flood, after the flood, where can we all trace our DNA back to? If we could take Ancestry.com that far back, who could we take it to? Could we take it back to Noah? Okay, all right. So Noah has three sons. Notice, notice here how God talks about them. So beginning in verse 2 of chapter 10, we have the sons of Japheth, okay? Look at verse 5. From these, the coastland people spread into their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. That word nations is an interesting word. Dave's got his handy-dandy iPad back there with all the Hebrew and Greek on it. And, and that word nations is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's even more interesting in the Greek. In the Greek, the word nations comes out ethnicities. Okay? So that's what it says about Japheth. Verse 7, we, or verse 6, now we have the sons of Ham. Okay, that's, that's Noah's second son. Go down to verse 20. What does Moses record for us there? To the, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Okay? We're seeing a pattern here. Okay, verse 21. Now we're going to talk about Shem and the Shemites. Look at verse 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. What is, Noah, or, you know, what is Moses denoting for us here about the sons of Noah and their offspring? 
They're populating the world, and when they go to different parts of the world, what happens? Okay, they go to different places in the world where different foodstuffs are available, so all of a sudden they don't all cook the same anymore, do they? Okay, they go to different places in the world and the climate's not the same there, so what happens? They don't dress the same anymore. Because, because they're all descendants of Shem, all of a sudden Shem has certain dominant characteristics, and if you're a descendant of Shem, you start looking like a Shemite. If you're a descendant of Ham, you start looking like a Hamite. If you're a descendant of Japheth, you start looking like a Japhethite, okay? Would you expect Japheth's grandchildren to look exactly like Ham's grandchildren? Now take that out by many generations, and what do we have? We have ethnicities all over the world, don't we? But who do they trace it all back to? Noah, and then back all the way to Adam. Okay, so we have one race with many ethnicities. We could, we could follow this through the whole line of scripture here, but, I, but I just let's go to the end. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. I want you to see, I want you to see, well actually on our way there, on our way there, let's stop in at Matthew chapter 28. Let's stop in at Matthew chapter 28. So in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is leaving the earth, and he's going to leave what, what many call the Great Commission with his disciples, okay? And, and what does he say in verse 19? Go make disciples of who? Of how many nations? All the descendants of Ham, Japheth, and, and, and um, yeah, exactly. You got it. Right? All their descendants, right? Make disciples of all. Does he say, does he say there, especially the white Anglo-Saxon Europeans? No. All nations. Where do, what does that lead to? Well, Revelation chapter 5. Okay? That, that leads to this view that, that, that's coming and that, that we're going to be a part of. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. So Revelation 5 is the picture of here's God on the throne with, with the title deed of the earth. It's a scroll wrapped up. And, and John is upset because no one can come take the scroll. And who comes and takes the scroll from, the, from God on the throne? It's the Lamb of God. It's Jesus comes and takes the scroll. And he begins to unroll this scroll. And that's what we find in the rest of the book of Revelation is what's contained in that scroll. But they begin with... Verse 20 or verse 8, and when, they had take, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the, four, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation or ethnicity. And you have made them kingdoms, a kingdom and priests to God. What's the view in heaven going to be? Is it going to be all lily white? What's the view in heaven? All nationalities, right? God's very clear here. John's very clear. 
every tribe, language, people, and nation, okay? If, lest you think that's just a one-time message. Lest you think that's just a one-time message, okay? Go forward to chapter 7 and verse 9. After this I looked, John's talking, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. What's the message of Revelation? Jesus, the Lamb, was slain so that he could redeem people from every ethnicity. Does he list any specific ethnicities there that are more important than others? No. None. None. One passage of scripture I want to show you. Early, early on, back in the book of Leviticus, that wasn't, me, that wasn't very nice of me to take you from the front to the back of your Bible and then make you go back to the front again, but Leviticus chapter 19 In verse 34, okay, this is, this is to Israel, his special people. Sometimes, do you get the idea sometimes when you read your Old Testament that Israel just thought they were better than everybody else because they're always wiping out everybody? You kind of get that feeling, but, but, in, but in the law, notice how God, God deals with the other nations here. Leviticus 19, verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What's the ethic there that God's giving us? Does skin color matter here? Does the fact that they don't speak your language matter here? Okay. Okay. So that's the ethic of Scripture. And I think you need to understand that when you're encountering this. People, people automatically assume because you're a Christian that you're a racist. That's, that's an assumed thing now. Okay. Because of critical theory... Christians are now lumped into this, this, this side of it, okay? So, you, you need to be armed with Scripture. But let me give you a warning before I take your questions. I hope you got questions, because this is the last thing I want to talk about. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. A couple weeks ago, I almost began here. But I think this is a good place to, to end what, what I want to teach you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's writing to Timothy. This is kind of Paul's, um, you know, two letters to Timothy. This is him helping him as he's on the job. He's trying to help him as a pastor even more. And he says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this. Timothy, Timothy know this, okay? In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Is that like a woeful understatement or what? The last time there will come times of difficulty. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Question for you, are those people that he's talking about in the church or outside of the church? Yes, but I think he's dealing mostly with people in the church. He's dealing, and usually when you hear this passage preached, it's some angry guy up in front who's sweating and his veins are popping out of his forehead, talking about the wickedness of our culture. The wickedness of our culture is also reflected in our churches. Okay, go back then and look at that list again. I'm not going to read it again. You look at that list, and that's what's described about mostly people in the church. There's going to be false believers. Jesus dealt with it in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Remember that parable? Okay? Wheat and tares look the same when they're young, don't they? You don't go in and start just pulling when they're young. When can you, decide, when can you differentiate between a wheat and a tear? After it grows, right? Folks, we're in a time now where the false doctrines are blooming. We can see them. And, and one of the things I've wrestled with is so-called men of God who claim to be gospel preachers, and, and it just kind of dawned on me this week when I reread this passage of Scripture, Paul calls these people what they are. Now, if, you were, if you're Timothy and you're reading that, would that seem a little bit harsh at first to call them what they are? Is he telling Timothy himself to be swollen up with pride? No. But what he's telling him is, you better identify them and what's the last thing he says about them in verse 5? Why? Why avoid them? Yeah, if you don't avoid them, you're going to get led astray. If you don't avoid them, Timothy, your whole church is going to be held sway by them. Not only were there going to be false believers, but according to verses 6 through 9, there's going to be false teachers. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, you won't find Janus and Jambres in the scriptures. You'll find them in historical writings. Many believe they were Egyptian magicians, okay, producing magic tricks, okay? Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. And that's what sealed it for me this week, men disqualified in the faith. I just want to tell you, and you may think I'm too harsh, any proponent of CRT is a man who's disqualified in his faith. And that calls into question anything that they've done in the past then. So when I name names, I'm really careful about the names I name. But folks, when David Platt produces a series of teachings for his church espousing critical race, he is now disqualified in the faith. 
No different than if I were trying to lead us to, to, to espouse CRT. I would be disqualified in the faith. And you know what to do with people who are disqualified in the faith, right? You call them to repentance, right? And if they won't repent, what do you do? Miranda, <laughs> get them out. <laughs> but that's what you do. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can be swept up in this. One of the biggest things that's just a mushrooming, it's like a cottage industry right now, are biblical discernment ministries. You can find them all over on the internet. Just because they claim to be a discernment ministry doesn't mean they're discerning. Let me say that again. Just because they claim to be a discernment ministry doesn't make them discerning. Discernment ministries can be used to spread more untruth. Be very careful. Be very careful. I'm not going to tell you who to listen to, who not to listen to. I'll give you guidance if you want to know. And, but, but here's the thing. You, you can always, always, always go to God's word. And if what they're teaching doesn't match up with the scriptures, avoid it. Avoid it. One of the things that I think we, we're really good at is, is being gracious, and that's usually a good thing, but sometimes we're too gracious. We're always trying to find the good in something. If there's error in with the good, just reject it. Just reject it. Stop trying to find good in there. It's like, well, 95%, yeah, it's the 5% that you got to be scared about, and if you know there's 5% error, it means there's probably 15. Not because you're dumb, just because they hide it really well. Be discerning. Be discerning. Okay. I think I've said more than enough. Questions from you. Questions from you for the last three weeks. Okay, Miranda. Oh, he would take that passage and he would jump on it as hard as I would. He would say this, that we as white Americans, white Westerners, and, and people of that ilk would say this, that we have long disregarded the fact that there's going to be other nations at the throne. And, and I'm, I'm just telling you this. Yeah, will there be black African Americans, Chinese Americans, Jewish Americans, Haitian Americans? Will they, will they be there at the throne? Yes. They will be. But, but there, what his point would be, his point would be, because I'm white, I don't see that. Well, no, I can see truth because it's in the word of God. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm -hmm. 
you do that? No. You're right. You're right. Okay, that's good to first start. Other questions? Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, if you didn't hear it. So, so when I said, you know, when someone, I'm going to use the old phrase from Happy Days, when they jumped the shark, you know what I mean by that? Remember when Fonzie jumped the shark, it ruined the show? Some of you are like, what's, what's Happy Days? What is that? Okay. <laughs> so when these people jump the shark, Zach's question is, what about the old stuff they've written? What about the stuff they produced? I think you've got to be discerning. I'll give you a case in point. If you came to our church, someone help me, probably eight years ago, you would have found that our women sometimes were using a Beth Moore Bible study. Absolutely, you wouldn't find that today. Pastor Beth preaches to men, and, and I'm, I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but she, she sees herself as a pastor. She does. The youth group, the youth group raised, used David Platt several years ago. We did. Yeah, yeah. Would you teach it again now? Here's the danger. Individually, can you go back and read some of the old stuff and benefit from it? Yeah. Corporately, would we ever use any of that material again? No, because it kind of puts a stamp of approval on the guy. And I definitely don't want to do that. Would I say, knowing what we know now, do you need to be discerning about stuff in the past? Yeah. Some of that could have been creeping in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, you know, I, it's not all picking on David Platt all the time, but when he was writing Radical, he was living in a multi-million dollar mansion calling people to live a radical wartime lifestyle and give all they could to the cause of Christ and missions. Well, I have a problem with the way he's living and calling others to live. Oh, oh. No. Mm-hmm. 
It is. I mean, I read a lot of old Puritans. The Puritans were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I read early church fathers. I read Augustine. Augustine was really, really greasy on some doctrine. He really was. <laughs> he's, he's not in his head. Yes, he really was. Some of his doctrine was awful, but some of his stuff is just spot on. And Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also discernment in that. A book, since you use David Platt, a book that David Platt wrote in 2005 compared to one he writes in 2021. You know in 2021 where he stands, right? Yeah. It's a good question. Yes. So did you, hear, did you hear his question? He says that one of the things when it comes to racial issues particularly is we, we're, we're supposed to be, as Bible-believing Christians, empathetic. We're supposed to care. But when you read Romans 1, you see at one point God comes to this point where God gives them over to, to reprobate mind. My first response to that is, I, and I'm not being flippant about this, I can't be God, I can't determine when they're given over. Should we have empathy? I mean, if you see racism happen in your workplace, should you speak up about it? Yeah. As a, as a Christian, out of loving your neighbor, should you speak up for it? Even if it's for an Arab that you disagree with after you've watched 16 or, or 14 soldiers blown up by Arabs, should you care about the person in your workplace who's an Arab who's being discriminated against? Is that hard? How many of you have ever thought, just be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you ever thought when you walked into a mall and you saw somebody wearing something on their head, oh, there's just another towel head, we better get out of here, we're going to get blown up? Have we made a judgment based on race? So don't think we're exempt from it. We can think that way. Zach's like, I'm just being trained to do what I do. I'm profiling. I already, I'm, just, I'm just doing what I was trained to do. But, but can we think that way? <laughs> That's funny. 
you're, you're guilty of critical race. Um, so what do we do? There are some people who, are, who have diabolically taken this too far. They have. To the point that they are knowingly spreading lies that are causing division. Right? When you see that in the church, I think you do exactly what, what, what Paul told Timothy. You avoid them. When you see that in the body of Christ, you avoid them. You call them out for who they are. You warn everybody. You warn your family. You warn, you warn your church family about that. But you leave them ultimately in God's hands. God will deal with, with those who are preaching false doctrine better than you and I can. But we avoid them if we know, I mean, if you know a certain thing is going to cause you cancer, do you just knowingly keep eating it? No. No, we just, we avoid it, right? So here's the deal. God has to be the one to, to, to write them off. But, but, our, but our empathy cannot be shaped by people's wild ideologies. We ought to be sensitive about race and racial issues just as much as we're, we're sensitive about overeating in our own lives. Right? What else? Oh, Rick, I knew you were going to give me one. You wait to the last part, and then you're going to lob this big old heavy one at me. And no, yeah, I know how you work. Mm The white man is as oppressed as he made the black man. Yeah. Mm-mm. Right. They don't. What further complicates it, and now I'm going to get some of our ultra-Americans really upset here, but what further complicates it is, is we live in a nation now that is celebrating this, that is actually changing the rules of the game to favor this type of thinking. And so now, now, when you, when, when we, if we would go out and just publicly start proclaiming this at school board meetings and things like that, 
we would, we would instantly be labeled as, well, not only are you you're racist, but you're anti-American too. And that's the danger in this, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but this is what further complicates this issue now, it, because, because a very slim minority has hijacked all of, all of the rule of law here. You paying attention to what's happening in Australia right now? There is no speech there anymore. We're not far behind if we don't stand up for, for constitutionally protected liberties. Yeah. What else? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jude, yeah. 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 And our hope is, and our hope corporately is in proclaiming the word of God and, and continuing to proclaim the word of God and standing on it as truth and not just proclaiming it, but living on, living by it. And, and that, that's in all areas of life. It's not just on Sundays when we come to church. It's, it affects the way that we, we conduct ourselves on the job Monday morning. It, it, conduct, it affects the way that we deal with our neighbors on Tuesday night. It affects the way that we deal with the, with the person who, who you know, mishandles our order at, you know, at the store or whatever. It, it, it affects all of our life. And if we, aren't, if we don't have integrity through all of it, we have nothing. And I think you make a good point there. You make a very good point. It's... Our, our hope is ultimately God's in charge. He's called us to be ambassadors. Being ambassadors doesn't mean that we get to choose the message we give. He's chosen the message. We give the message, and we better back up the message. 
There's nothing worse than an ambassador who gives the message. I mean, what's one of the most irritating things that we've seen throughout this whole thing with COVID is how governors and mayors give the message out. You've got to be masked up, and then you see pictures of them doing what? Is that irritating? Okay, it's, and it makes you not want to believe the message, right? Okay. If we, don't, if we say that we're truth proclaimers and we don't live by the truth, guess what? That's who we've become. That's who we've become. Yeah. With a gospel punch in the face, Dave. I would say to her, you know what, I believe, do you believe the Bible, ma'am? Yes, I do. So do I. And here's what I believe. Revelation 5, Revelation 7, here's God's plan. Every tongue and tribe and nation is going to be at the throne. We're going to be singing, and it's going to sound totally different than what it sounds like on the radio, ma'am. He could have just stayed here a little while. He'd have figured, I mean, we're, I mean, we're. Yeah, I mean, there is a way to do that. And then every once in a while, though, you have to just be, I mean, yes. Jesus, you generation of vipers. Yeah, there's, there's a place for both. A lot of Christians who aren't aware. Yeah. Yeah. And if your kids are in school at all, and I'm not even going to say public school, Christian schools are espousing this too. Um, if your kids are in school, you need to know what they're being taught. If your kids are homeschooled, you need to know the, the philosophy behind the education material that you're using. You, you got to be discerning. You got to be discerning. Yeah.
it's okay to be active and not passive? No. It is okay to speak out. It is. Okay. All right. Father, thank you for truth. And I pray that we would be, first and foremost, students and, and obeyers of truth in our own lives. And I pray that we would be gracious givers of truth to those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.